And good evening, everybody, at last. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and this is session number 161 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings, a significant percentage of which have been covering the Council of Elrond. Uh, and uh, tonight we get to the recruitment speech. Uh, from Saruman. So we were looking at uh, last week. We were sort of testing out our theory about the um, the roles of the you know the uh, wizards' colors as roles and seeing if that fit with sort of the you know the the next part of their conversation, uh, which of course was very interested in colors, uh, being Saruman talking about his own color, uh, and I think that that fit really really well, especially with the with the 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 kind of. The dimension that that lends to the many colors claim that he was making, I thought, worked really, really well. So I was really happy with that. Um, uh, one quick announcement I just I wanted to make is that I wanted to uh, uh, remind people, if you didn't catch the uh, the videos that I made, the Signum Who We Are video and the Signum the State of the University address that I did, the first one in which I, uh, you know, do a, a, a description of the Signum University model and what makes us different, and then in the State of the University address that I did uh, a couple days later, where I talk about our future plans for Signum University, those are available uh, in on YouTube, if you go to the Signum University YouTube channel, uh, you will find a uh, higher education in the 21st century playlist, uh, and those two are at the uh, uh, are at the top of the list there. So, uh, I just wanted to make sure, because I know not everyone was able to make those sessions, so I just wanted to make sure everybody knew that they were up and uh, available to be seen. So, um, anyway, uh, let us jump back into things. Sorry for being even later than usual tonight. Um, family issues happening unexpectedly here. Um, but all's well, and uh, back to wizards here. So um, this, of course, is Saruman's big set speech. My goal is to get through two slides again tonight, uh, because I think it's a really interesting contrast, uh, not just in content, that is, in the words that he delivers, but in the demeanor with which he delivers them. I think there's some really important cues that we're getting there, which tells us a lot about Saruman and what he's up to and what he's really sort of about here. Uh, it's very revealing, I think. Um, so, the recruitment speech. He drew himself up then and began to declaim, as if he were making a speech long rehearsed. The elder days are gone, the middle days are passing, the younger days are beginning. The time of the elves is over, but our time is at hand, the world of men, which we must rule. But we must have power, power to order all things as we will, for that good which only the wise can see. And listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper, he said, coming near and speaking now in a softer voice. I said we, for we it may be, if you will join with me. A new power is rising. Against it the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. There is no hope left in elves or dying Numenor. This is one choice before you. Sorry, this then is one choice before you, before us. We may join with that power. It would be wise, Gandalf. There is hope that way. Its victory is at hand, and there will be rich reward for those that aided it. As the power grows, its proved friends will also grow, and the wise, such as you and I, may with patience come at last to direct its courses, to control it. 
We can bide our time. We can keep our thoughts in our hearts, deploring maybe evils done by the way, but approving the high and ultimate purpose, knowledge, rule, order. All the things that we have so far striven in vain to accomplish, hindered rather than helped by our weak or idle friends. There need not be, there would not be, any real change in our designs, only in our means. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I agree. Mike says he's definitely been rehearsing this speech start to finish since dispatching Radagast. Definitely, definitely. Um, uh, so this is, um, <laughs> Karita wants the blooper reel of him rehearsing this speech. It's true. Now, I would argue, not 100% sure, hard to prove, but I am, um, uh, but I would argue that he slips up a couple times here. I don't think that his execution of his rehearsed speech is flawless, okay? Um, uh, and you're right, uh, Praise. This speech is much more eloquent here than in the truncated version that Peter Jackson gives him, definitely. Um, and Gilgonther, you also are very correct that there are lots of really red flags uh, that send chills up your spine uh, in this speech. Um, uh, good. Yes, Karita, I agree. Um, the you, I mean, we, <laughs> yes, that's definitely one of them. So let's, let's, um, um, uh, let's, let's start from the beginning here. Last time I started with the last paragraph first and then went backwards, but I want to do them in order this time. Um, he's declaiming, right? As if he's making a speech long rehearsed. So it's a practiced speech. He is... The word declaim is a really interesting one. It gives him an air of impersonality, right? He's like a demagogue, but he's a demagogue to one person, right? There's a kind of... I don't quite want to say absurdity. That, I think, is a little too strong, perhaps. Um, but it's almost absurd, right? Uh, to be... I mean, declaiming is something you do in front of a crowd, right? A large crowd, probably. And so to, if you, if you ever catch yourself having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and you find yourself declaiming, you're probably doing it wrong, right? Um, and that's, uh, yeah, exactly. Gilgonther says it's like getting out a teleprompter for a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Yes, it's exactly, exactly what it's like. Um, so there's something like from the even before he opens his mouth, we can see a kind of disconnect here. Right. Um, if he were just making a heartfelt appeal to Gandalf, um, it wouldn't go like this. It wouldn't sound like this. There is something that is fake, that is not true to the whole situation about where he begins. So even before he says a word here, we can already tell uh, there's something not quite odd, I think. Uh, odd is not even uh, uh, not even exactly true. Yeah, Zach, I, I agree. Uh, uh, Saruman clearly does. Uh, uh, he could really... It, it seems ironic to say that he could benefit from the influencing your audience uh, 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 course at Signum Path because Saruman is tolerably good at that. Uh, but, um, but he cheats. <laughs> anyway... Um, but um, 
but look at what he says now. The elder days are gone. The middle days are passing. The younger days are beginning. The time of the elves is over, but our time is at hand. The world of men, which we must rule. Now, that's a really fascinating beginning, right? Yes, the elder days are gone. The middle days, I guess, being defined loosely as the second and third ages. If the first age is the elder days, then the last two ages are the middle days and the younger days are beginning. Um, uh, first of all, the phrase like the elder days, you know, referring to the first age as the elder days is fairly common. Um the converse of that, referring to the age to come, to the age of the dominion of men, which is indeed on the threshold, and everybody knows it, the elves best of all know it, um, that uh, the, the, the days of the dominion of men are on the threshold. Um, nobody calls those the younger days. Nobody uses the obverse, right, of the elder days. Um, the fact that he is, um, the fact that he is taking that line Right, that he is characterizing it in that way is already signals a departure from the traditional way of thinking of the wise. Right? There's, there's nobody, there's none of the good guys who does not look at the passage of the ages as a decline. It needn't be a tragic decline. It needn't be necessarily a depressing decline. But there's always a sadness, there's always a poignancy to it, and there's always a recognition that um, as the ages have declined, they are declining away from, you know, the, 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 the beauty and the splendor of the elder days. Um, Saruman's characterization of the age that is about to begin as the younger days, right, invites, it's a, it's a <clears throat> on the one hand, this is a very cunning construction, Right, because it invites his audience, Gandalf, right, his audience of one, uh, to imagine this coming age as an age of opportunity, right? Like, like the the youth of the world. It's like the world is running backwards instead of the world getting older. The world is getting younger, right? It's just getting everything is getting like stronger and more full of potential as we move forward, right? He's he's kind of setting the script of the ages, the script of the world of Middle-earth, of the history of Middle-earth on its head based on what everybody, how, what everybody accepts, like what is normal uh, for, uh, for understanding the world here. That's a really interesting move, right? Um, and of course, then he compounds that by saying, the time of the elves is over. Yes, that's, that's true. The time of the elves is almost completely over. Um, and that's normally a sad thing. That's normally uh, uh, to almost everybody. I mean, ask Sam about the time of the elves being over, and he'll tell you what he thinks about that, right? Um, Sam, of course, has a sensible perspective on this question. Um, Sam, it, you know, Sam is is made, you know, uh, sad even back before he had encountered anything and done any of his growing, right? When he was still, um, you know, a kid back in the Green Dragon talking to Ted Sandyman. It still, uh, you know, made him melancholy there. Um, but um, 
Yeah. Lawrence With says, uh, I love that Tolkien give, gives Saruman the viewpoint of chronological snobbery. Yes, Saruman does sound like, you know, he's one of the only people who is out of sync with this perception, with this, with the standard Middle-earth perception of the passing of time, the declining of the ages, uh, and the way, the sort of the direction that things are, that things are going. Belongsbond, you're right. Saruman does kind of sound like a man on the side of industry and technology. Um, and I said he's almost one of the only ones that we hear talking like this because we will hear others, but those others that we will hear are the ones who have been deluded by Saruman, right? Um, from it's from people like Ted Sandyman briefly that we will hear such uh, again uh, other similar ideas about you know the age of new possibility that is uh, opening up before them um, but um, uh, but then of course it's not just that he says the time of elves is over as if with relief but then he adds our time is at hand just stopping there for a second. The time of the elves is over, but our time is at hand. Note the implication there, as if the elves have been in their way, like in the way of the wizards, right? Like, oh, finally, now, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the time of the elves is over. And, and I'm going to say, at last, am I right? I mean, boy, have they been a hindrance to what we've been trying to do. I mean, that's almost the implication um, of, uh, of what Saruman is saying there. And again, we can see he is, I find it, I find this as a rhetorical approach very interesting, right? Because he is revealing, um, he is revealing his perspective here quite openly, or rather he is displaying, I should say, the difference between his framework and his assumptions and not just Gandalf's, but like most of the other good guys' perspective, very, very quickly. Um, and in ways that are going to be super obvious, right? He's really kind of flaunting that. Um, and I'm wondering what he's hoping to accomplish there, right? He's, he's uh, I mean, he's already... He's already done, you know, a goatee stroking speech in the previous passage, right? You know, I mean, he's already, um, I don't know that he's actually literally waxed his mustache, but I mean, it was a pretty waxed mustache speech that he gave, you know, the Saruman of many colors, you know, Radagast the fool. Um, so it's not exactly like he's trying to keep the fact that he is... Um, you know, going in the evil overlord direction, you know, that he's been taking some, um, uh, you know, some online evil overlord courses. I guess actually he's literally been taking, you know, remote learning evil overlord courses, come to think of it. Um, anyway, you know, he's he, it's not like he's exactly, you know, going to be hiding that at this point. Um, but um, but he he really <clears throat> he really owns it. Right. Um, and that's an it's it's interesting in the context of a speech long rehearsed. Right. Um, I mean, this is a this is a speech that he has practiced that he. What what is his goal here? Because this is the question that I can't help but ask right away, like after the first, you know, three sentences, I can't help but ask, does he really. Intend to convince Gandalf here, does he think I mean. What's the purpose of this rehearsed speech? Is it really to convince Gandalf? 
is that what he hopes for? Does he does he have earnest and sanguine hopes of talking Gandalf around to his point of view? It's possible that he does. I mean, he he is very arrogant, right? You know, he does have a very high opinion of his abilities, and the foremost of his abilities is to, uh, you know, bring people around to his point of view. So it's very possible that he has actually convinced himself of that. Um, but he's taking an extremely direct approach at that here. Um, it sounds to me as if he is, um, uh, he is kind of um, trying to. Um, Right, exactly. As Prey says, he's so convincing, he's convinced himself. That's that's what I sort of wonder as well. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm interested. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, right, uh, Lisa says uh, to hear himself, to be able to say to himself, um, you know, I was willing to share. If Gandalf, uh, if Gandalf doesn't doesn't listen, it's not my fault. Perhaps, perhaps you know, like he he's gonna officially lay it out. Right. And uh, I mean, he will say later that he didn't expect Gandalf to show wisdom. Right. Um, But again, in which case. So again, so what was the point? Right. Again, you know, perhaps it is mostly just to uh, uh, to hear himself. But that's one of the things that I want to be looking at, not just here in this passage, but in the in in the in the passage to come as well, because it does seem that it's related uh, to that there as well. Um, But of course, then I didn't quite get to the end of that sentence. The time of the elves is over, but our time is at hand. The world of men, which we must rule. Which we must rule. What a fascinating statement at the end of that sentence, right? That the world of the dominion of men is coming is well known. But you see what he's done there? It's really quite clever. He's taken that phrase. It's like this, you know, now has come the dominion of men. That's exactly what it's called. That's what, what everybody calls it, Right. So what does he do? He twists the name, right? The time of the dominion of men. You know, that time when men need to be dominated? Yeah, yeah, that one, right? Like, yes, it is going to be the dominion of men, not when men uh, have dominion, but when we must have dominion over men. Uh, and that is actually kind of cool, right? I mean, that's, that's actually kind of fun. Um, you know, it's not good, but it's kind of cool. Um, but... Uh, Gilgantar, I agree. The tone that he uses, we must rule without saying why. He just assumes that, that it's obvious, right? Like, clearly. Um, and exactly, Gilgantar, that's just what I was thinking, that he is seeming to imply, in the same way in which, from the beginning of this speech, he has just turned all the assumptions on their heads, he's not making an argument for it, right? He's not saying, let me try to convince you of how we need to look at this whole decline of the ages things from a new angle, right? Let's take a fresh view of this whole situation, right? He's not making an argument like that. What he's doing is he's delivering the whole thing from this different framework from the beginning. And that is the clearest revelation of the framework that he's using. And that framework is... We wizards have a job, right? Gandalf has said already, I liked white better, right? That is, you had a job, Saruman. Now, on the one hand, you're claiming to do everybody's job. You're claiming to be Saruman of many colors. You are all the colors, right? You are the the one who is the master of all things. Okay, whatever, right? Um, 
but you had a job and you're not doing that job, right? So in a sense, his opening gambit here responds to that. The implicit rhetorical question which Saruman's framework here asks is, what is our job exactly? What is the role of the wizards? Why have we wizards come to Middle-earth? And the answer, when you really stop to think about it, is obvious, right? We look around Middle-earth and what do we see? We see Middle-earth in a state of decline, right? Are we going to just sit back and, and, and let that happen, right? We come here and we see the elder days, of course, they were gone before we came, right? And the middle days were passing. They were more than halfway gone before we even showed up, right? And we see the middle days passing by. What have we come for? Obviously, but to prepare for the younger days, right? We have come in time to lay the foundations for the leadership of this world as it enters into this new period of youth and growth and uh, exciting opportunity that lies before it. It is down to us to reverse this trend of decline, right? And to build a brilliant new future, right? The time of the elves is over. Maybe we can agree to disagree on whether they accomplished anything of any significance, but that's not what matters right now. What matters is their time is over, our time is at hand. Since they're passing away, they're the ones who have been ruling the shop here, right? And we see the state that they're leaving it in, right? But anyway, as I said, I wouldn't talk about that. So anyway, but they're gone, right? And we are taking over. We have been left. We are the heirs of the world, right? After the elves leave, right? The world of men. Which, as Gilgonthier says, obviously, we must rule, right? I mean, that's a given, right? It's clearly what we were sent here to do. Um, by simply adopting this without explaining it, without justifying it, right? By simply adopting this framework, um, he is attempting to sort of you know, I don't know, kind of like wrong foot Gandalf. What, what, what position does Gandalf have to say like, well, but, um, I, I, but I thought that's not what our job was. Right. Anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a really interesting, um, uh, it's a really interesting move that he makes here and very revealing of his way of thinking. Right. Um, but we must have power, power to order all things as we will for that good which only the wise can see. We, us again, obviously we have to rule, but you know what? Like, we need resources, right? We need resources. Um, see, El Guapo, that's exactly it, right? Um, you know, he says that's it's a it's quite a thing to say right after saying that they must rule the world of men. You could ask El Guapo, right? Like, well, okay, like, where's the must? If you don't already have the power, you know, if if you're not already in that position, then where does the must? come in, uh, you know, right. As far as the, um, uh, as far as the, the ruling, the world of men having like from whence cometh the imperative, uh, if in fact you don't yet have the wherewithal, uh, to rule the thing. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, fourth dauntless, exactly. Uh, it says, this is the answer to the why question. Saruman and Gandalf are going to be philosopher Kings. Exactly. Fourth dauntless. It's a very enlightened vision of the future. It really is. Right. Um, because you see exactly as fourth dauntless is suggesting only the wise can see the good 
that can be achieved through the ordering of the way. If they can order, if they can but bring a kind of order to the world that has sadly never been the, been available, right? I mean, like the world has been many things. Orderly has never been one of them, right? Um, uh, and uh, but we can see these good ends, right? We know the way that we should shape things for everybody's good, for everybody's best interest, right? They don't know what they want. We know what's best for them. And so we can help to shape things and to order things. But we need power in order to do this, right? And again, the unstated comment there is, look, you know, men are annoying, right? They're ornery and they're froward and and it's it's not going to be simple, right? We have to have, we, we have the right because we are the wise, right? Um, we have, uh, the, 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 the imperative to rule, but it's going to take some force. We're going to need actual power in order to compel because only compulsion is going to really enable the order that's going to enable, you know, us to help the younger days to achieve their fullest potential, obviously. So, uh, you know, we're going to need some power, uh, in order, in order to do that. Um, yeah, exactly. Lauren Swift. I do think that he is implying still fairly, he's being fairly indirect about it still, but I do think that he is implying that it would be, uh, for the good, not just for the good of men, I mean, I think he, he he does say he does I think imply that it's going to be for the good of men, um, and and you're absolutely right. Power isn't his goal, right? Helping the race of men is the goal. The the ideals of the wise, this is the goal, right? The power is only the obviously necessary means. Without that, you couldn't possibly bring about the state uh, that you need to bring about, um, and. Um, so, yeah, so that's what, you know, that's what you're, um, uh, uh, that's clearly what needs to happen. But of course, Lawrence with it's, there's also more than that as well, right? It, it, that's true. Um, but in addition, it's not only for the good of men, because men aren't the whole point, right? Notice, remember again, the frame that he began with, the elder days are passing, the middle, the elder days are gone, the middle days are passing, the young, the younger days are beginning, Right. Um, it's not only for the good of human beings, either as a species or as individuals, right? It's for the good of the age, right? I suspect that Saruman would say, it's not just that you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, right? That if you have to, you know, abrogate some people's freedoms and liberties, and if you have to, you know, uh, crossbreed some people with orcish abominations and stuff, you know, look, like some things are necessary in order to achieve these great ends. So it's not just that he would say like some, you know, the good of some must be sacrificed to the good of the many. I don't think that he would just say that. I think that he would also say further, you know what? It may be that men as a whole will be less happy. But if that brings about the great and glorious age of the future, right? Then it's worth it. Then it's worth it, right? It's not all about men. Men aren't the whole story, right? They are the central figures of the age to come. 
and therefore must be ruled, because only by ruling them are we going to be able to bring about the age that we want to bring about. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lupinia says, as someone from a, a former Soviet Union country, there were all sorts of arguments about how anti-communist the Lord of the Rings was, and it was banned literature in Czechoslovakia. I can understand how uh, people would think that. Um, yes, yes, um, I understand. I, I can, I can, I can, I can perceive that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yep. Now, it's, I think, not ultimately, I think that communism is not ultimately what it's primarily against. But I can understand how <clears throat> communist leaders might be uncomfortable with it, nevertheless. Um, but, um, okay. So, yeah, that good which only the wise can see. And again, that's where I'm talking about. Um, again, no, he doesn't even say, like, for their own good for the good of people, right? For the blessing of mankind or anything like that, right? That good, which only the wise can see. And that good, that's a, that's a serious abstraction, right? That things should be good. Um, and it may well be, um, uh, it may well be that, um, the whole, in a sense, the whole race of men needs to be suppressed in some way. By, from Saruman's perspective, in order to bring about that good. That if that good that he foresees, that he anticipates, that he desires, can only be brought about by the total subjugation of the race of men, um, uh, even enslavement of the world of men. Again, so again, it's not, it's not to say that he's really saying... Um, and, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm emphasizing this, I thought that what they did, what Jackson did in the films... The way in which he he made Saruman's appeal into uh, like an anti-human thing explicitly, right? Like that he was making war on the world of men entirely, despite the fact that he was fighting, a, you know, he was like recruiting the Dunlendings to sign on to that for some reason. Um, but um, but anyway, the 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 sort of racial um, uh, dimension that they gave to Saruman in the films was interesting. And I thought it, I thought it worked uh, pretty well, but it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's clumsy. If we, if, you know, when we come to the books, we allow that mode to kind of infect, uh, then we won't see Saruman's whole point. Um, he's not pro man, pro human. He's not anti-human. <clears throat> His perspective is uh, uh, different from that. Um, yeah, Marielle is exactly right. Uh, uh, Marielle jumping ahead, uh, a little rashly, uh, but saying, jumping ahead to what we know he'll do to Isengard. Uh, his goal isn't to make life bountiful and flourishing. It's to strip life of its messy disorder and willfulness and replace it with a regimented logical order of machinery. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As Emily says, he's not pro-human or anti-human. He's pro-Saruman, ultimately. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, and Sam, I can agree with that, that he wants to impose uh, the goals of his uh, uh, the goals of his post as the white onto the, everyone in the world, regardless of the cost. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly his, his sort of ideals. 
Yes. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, J.J. opines that if someone had uh, given Saruman a copy of Minecraft to fill his time with, uh, he might not have gotten into so much mischief. Um, I, yeah, I can see the argument there. I can see the argument there. Um, okay, anyway, next paragraph. This is when he changes modes, right? And listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper, he said, coming near and speaking now in a softer voice. So he's not declaiming anymore. Now, uh, I saw that there were some discussions from earlier on as to whether or not um, the whole speech was recited or just the first part, like whether he was um, whether he'd rehearsed the whole thing. Like, is he to what extent is he improvising this second part of the speech? Um so let's see what we think about that. Um, certainly that first um, statement sounds to me very rehearsed. Listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper. I mean, the tonal shift from his previous speeches, like the scorn with which he was speaking of Gandalf the Grey, right, uh, earlier on. Um, uh, you know, here you shall remain and cease from wandering. And now my old friend and helper. Um, again, I think that he has, and even helper, right? He was just accusing Gandalf of never seeking help, right? The thought is late in coming to you. And now he's calling him my old friend and helper. Uh, when again, helper is kind of the one thing that he's never actually been. Um, but um, but anyway, I, I, I think that this is, my argument would be, my reading of that, would be that he had, he had, I believe that he had rehearsed this transition. Um, he had rehearsed this transition. What he had said before, like what he said in the previous couple passages, was spontaneous in the moment. And it did kind of blow his transition, right? I mean, like it, it's, it's, uh, there is a clear disjunction between what he just said to Gandalf in a more honest moment and what he's saying to Gandalf here in this pre-rehearsed transition. But again, I think that that just sort of shows the obviousness, like the obvious gap between his real thoughts and intentions and what he's actually saying in his pre-rehearsed uh, speech here. Um, but... Um, yeah, uh, good. Sarah, uh, Vermont Hobbit says, uh, since this is repeated by Gandalf, can't we assume that it sounded more persuasive in person? I assume Gandalf isn't trying to replicate Saruman's voice. Well, certainly not the effect of Saruman's voice. Um, I think that Gandalf is, you know, so certainly, Sarah, we could ask, you know, at the council, how much justice is Gandalf doing to the rehearsed speech of Saruman. Um, this passage in particular, it sounds like he is showing some care to repeat Saruman's words as closely as he can. Um, and I think that he's doing that. Uh, I think that the reason that he is doing this is it saves him a very great deal of time, right? Um, the As we will see, the discussion that follows his story about Saruman is going to focus on the ring and what they do on the ring. He and Elrond know this is the true agenda of the meeting, right? And so they're going to be coming back to um, let's uh, let's let's move forward the action item of this meeting, right? Before poor Bilbo dies of starvation. So um, uh, 
they know. So in other words, they're not going to spend a whole lot of time going through what's up with Saruman by um, by accurately delivering Saruman's words. The people in his audience hear doing it as he's doing it. Right. I mean, he's he's not the effect of Saruman's voice is, is not there at all. Right. So just <clears throat> repeating Saruman's words in this totally different context of the Council of Elrond Elrond, you know, Galdor, Glorfindel, Aragorn, everyone's going to be able to, like, all these red flags that we're hearing, all of these, uh, all of this alarming and revealing stuff that shows how Saruman actually looks at things and the direction that his thought is taking. He's accomplishing a, a very concise report on those things without having to spell it out, right? Um, in it, the, the people for whom it is important for them to know, like Galdor, who asked in the first place, um, what about Saruman? What are his counsels? Um, you know, what's up with him? They will know what's up with him, right? They will be able to obviously get the basic facts of the story, but they will be able to glean a great deal more than the basic facts um, from uh, from the uh, uh, the speeches that they're hearing, so that's why I believe that Gandalf's um, uh, that Gandalf's words here are as close as he can make them to a replication of Saruman's speeches, and it's true, uh, heebie-jeebie, that uh, Gandalf may have been being theatrical. He is certainly not above uh, a theatrical approach, uh, and so certainly milking the drama of the story for the sake of the drama of the story, I think is not uninvolved in Gandalf's motivations here as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, now GDC, I agree with you. The last thing Gandalf wants is somebody saying, gosh, maybe Saruman has a point, right? Uh, yeah, no, he's not actually trying to convince them of Saruman's point of view. Um, <clears throat> but he does want them to know what Saruman's point of view is. That's really, that's really important. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But, 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 uh, uh, ex as Prey says, otherwise they might ask like, what makes you think he thought that? Right. Um, and he does not want to have a debate and discussion of, about Saruman. Saruman is not, I mean, it's important that everybody knows what's up with Saruman. Um, but he is, there's nothing they need to do about Saruman right now. He is not, he, he is, again, he is not the action item on the agenda here, and they need to clear it away uh, to some extent. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Um, exactly, Green Great Dragon. That's our job. Uh, that's our job. Exactly right. Um, right, Sam's uh, synopsis. Then Saruman said some insensitive things, then I contradicted him, then he imprisoned me. Uh, yes. I mean, again, like, because, I mean, Sam, you're right. He could, I mean, he could accomplish his goal by saying, um, yeah, so I went down to, to Saruman and would you believe he like, you know, tried to convince me that we should side with Sauron. And when I said no, he, he imprisoned me. Um, and then I saw that he was breeding orcs and everything and all manner of sketchy things going on in Isengard after that. Um, I Like, that would have been enough to convey the point, right? But he... He doesn't just convey the point, right? He does explain things more. He does demonstrate things more clearly. Uh, and I think that that's, um, I think that's important. I think that that's really interesting uh, how he does that. And again, 
it's I say it's concise. He tells a pretty long story. But again, by telling the whole story up front, um, he knows they're going to have questions. He knows it's not going to be enough just to drop a bomb like that. Oh, by the way, Saruman is a traitor and he's now allied with Sauron. But anyway, right, I mean, he can't, he knows that he can't do that. So he gives a full explanation and then we, you know, he, they can move on. Um, and yes, Angrist, you're right. Saruman's reputation is too great to be destroyed without proof. Um, what are the proofs? Is a question that's already been asked of him uh, about the ring. Um, if he just said, so turns out Saruman's a traitor, so whatever, let's forget about him, somebody might ask for the proofs. And so, yes, he's providing them without even being being asked. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yes. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> short, shortcuts lead to long debates, Fourth Thoughtless. Absolutely. Okay. Anyway, so back to uh, his transition and what he transitions to. Listen, Gandalf, my old friend and helper, he says in a friendly and convivial way, coming near and speaking now in a softer voice. He's no longer declaiming, right? This is now personal. And if, uh, of course, it's not a bad rhetorical move uh, for Saruman to begin in declamation mode and then shift to the more personal mode, right? As if now he is, first he is framing the overall situation, right? In that declamation. But now, now he's letting Gandalf into an insider insight on things, right? But this is between you and me. Gandalf. Of course, it was all between the two of them because they're the only ones in the room, but you see what I mean, right? It's like now he is he is kind of with his uh, 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 speech and body language recontextualizing what he is about to say as a more a more private communication, right? A more um, uh, secret, but yeah, uh, Carrie the One says it's almost like a bad cop, good cop routine. Uh, almost, almost. I mean, that kind of rhetorical shift can be, uh, I think, uh, really effective. Um, yes, confiding in a colleague, Angrist. That's a really good way to, um, uh, to like, they're going to they're gonna talk about this in camera, right? Like, a, you know, you and I, my old friend and helper, right? We, we understand these things, right? We have an, you know, we can, uh, um, you know, uh, see these things the way that they really are. Bricktails, exactly. The fatal su uh, seduction of the inner ring. Uh, I, Bricktails, of course, I assume you're thinking of C.S. Lewis's essay uh, by the, or the speech that he gave uh, on that topic, uh, on, by that title, The, uh, the Inner Ring. Absolutely. Um, okay. I said we, for we it may be, if you will join with me. A new power is rising. Against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. There is no hope left in elves or dying Numenor. This is one choice before you, before us. We may join with that power. It would be wise, Gandalf. There is hope that way. Its victory is at hand, and there will be rich reward for those that aided it. As the power grows, its proved friends will also grow, and the wise, such as you and I, may with patience come at last to direct its courses. So, okay, well, let's stop before that. Okay. Um, all right. We it may be. Now, I, I agree with Carita. The one that I think is definitely a slip there, and I really do think it's not a rhetorical effect. I think it's a slip. There is one choice before you, before us. 
I think that's a slip. Um, he speaks through the rest. And I say that because it is inconsistent. Uh, the before us is the thing that is consistent with everything else there, right? We may join with that. We may join with that power. A possibility would be for you and I to come together as a team and join together, right? Why don't we do that is his whole proposition to Gandalf here, right? By saying there is one choice before you, what he is betraying is the fact that he's already made his choice, right? And that doesn't fit with the rest of the things that he's saying there. That's why I think that that's a slip. Um, he should have just said, there is then one choice before us. This then is one choice before us. We may join with that power. Um, the we is the whole pitch, right? I said we, for we it may be, if you will join with me. Um, let's go together. Let's do this together. Um, and then to speak as if it's only his to before you, before us. Now, there is a, there is another reading. It's possible that it's not a slip. I mean, you could say, because he is saying, like, he is presenting a choice to Gandalf, right? Um, you could say that his argument is, you know, his, the way that he's trying to frame that is, this is your choice. And if you make the choice, then it won't just be you, it'll be us, right? And then we may join that with that power. Um, I think that that's a possible reading. Um, I still incline towards a slip there, but I think it's possible to read it the other way. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to rule that out. Um, a new power is when we will rule the galaxy as father and son. Exactly, Aranas. Now, Lincoln, that is precisely. Um, that is precisely the question, which is to me the most puzzling element of his entire speech. Um, having carefully crafted this speech and rehearsed this speech, he knows that the biggest challenge, right, is um, you know it's going to take uh, it's going to take a pretty large uh, a spoonful of sugar, right, to uh, to help the. So let's join Sauron's side. Pill go down, right? I mean, like, that's going to take a large dollop of honey. So how is he going to handle that? How is he going to contextualize that? In what way can you contextualize? So, yeah, so Gandalf, like, I'm the White Wizard, right? And you know that, like, in theory, my job is to be the enemy of Sauron, and I'm supposed to be studying him to help everybody defeat him. Well, um, new plan. How about we join him instead? Hear me out, right? I mean, it's a, that's a tough sell. That's going to be a really tough sell to Gandalf. Um, uh, very, very tricky. So, uh, a new power is rising. Lincoln's question was, in what sense is Sauron a new power? I mean, an old power is rising again or has risen again, right? But it's it's really weird. So, um, Belongsmond, I really like... Yeah, and Mike both were suggesting, okay, you know, what if what he's doing here is trying to shift things? 
um, he is shifting as uh, as Matt was pointing out. You know the 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 shift from talking about Sauron as the enemy, capital E, with like you know everybody else does, all the other good guys anyway, um, and um, uh, and the way that Saruman starts talking about the power, right, um, is um, an important rhetorical shift. I certainly agree with that. Um, first of all, it's an interesting choice. Just saying the power, characterizing him as the power, right? Remember, he's already set up for this. Um, the world of men, which we, we must rule, but we must have power. Power to order all things as we will. So the question is, what resource are we going to be able to draw upon, right? Obviously, the world of men is coming. Everybody knows that. Obviously, we need to rule that world. Again, that's a given. Obviously, we're going to need to harness some kind of power source in order for us to have the ability to rule the world like it needs to be ruled. So where, oh where, can we find a source of power that could be properly harnessed in order to bring about this rule that we see? Um, a power is rising, right? Capital P, power is rising. There's a difference, of course, between the lowercase p of the first paragraph and the uppercase p of the second paragraph. Um, but um, uh, but there's clearly, you know, a correspondence in terms there, right? Um, and by presenting, um, by presenting the situation this way, by depersonalizing Sauron, Right? Um, he's not talking about a person. Notice he's not talking about, he said very little that even suggests a person or allying with a person. Right? A new power is rising. Against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. There is no help in elves or dying Numenor. We may join with that power. It would be wise. There is hope that way. Its victory is at hand, the victory of the power, and there will be rich reward for those that aided it. That is the first place where it sounds like the power has any kind of personality, any kind of will at all, right? I mean, it sounds like, um, you know, he's struck an artesian flow of some kind of power somewhere, right? Um I mean, he's speaking of it with that kind of um, that kind of impersonality, and exactly the it, um, Mike, is I think really important there. Um, so, rich reward, though, reward for those that aided it. That suggests, right? It implies that the if the power is going to reward people who aided the power. It has agency now, and that's the first glimpse of agency of the power itself. The, only, the first glimpse of kind of personality for it. And yet, there's still a little bit of at least potential um, uh, well, there's still a lot of vagueness involved with it. Um, and I'm coming back to the point that Mike and Belongsman were making. The question is, isn't, um, 
the power doesn't necessarily have to be Sauron, right? The power could be Saruman himself. Um, he is trying to blunt the horror of his proposal with abstraction for Thoughtless. I absolutely, I absolutely believe that. Um, but I think that he is speaking with vagueness for another reason. It's not just because he doesn't want to say the S word, right, and uh, make it overt. Because, again, it's not like he's going to fool Gandalf, right? It's not like he's going to give this speech about the new power and Gandalf's going to be like, really? There's a new power? That's great! Wow! This sounds really excellent and um, great. So, so, I mean, honestly, I can't sign up soon enough, Saruman. This is so exciting. I'm so glad there's a powerful new ally who's going to help us to solve all of our problems. Great. And then, you know, later on, Gandalf's going to be like, what? It's Sauron! Right? Like, I, I, there's no way that Saruman is imagining that that's the effect that he's going to bring about. Right? So I, I don't think that his circumlocutions are de are de designed actually to deceive Gandalf uh, about the identity of, you know, the ally uh, that he's um, uh, that he's talking about there. Um, uh yeah, so, uh, now, for Thoughtless, I agree, it's not quite as simple as that. It's not quite as simple as he's saying, like, a new power is rising, leading up to a reveal, and it's me, right? I, 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 it's, it's, it's not quite like that. Um, it's almost like that, in a sense, but, it's, but that's too simple. Uh, because you're right, it doesn't work. There's, there are several things in his speech that doesn't exactly work that way. Um, but... Um, but as I said, so I go back to the, 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 the rhetorical effect of his depersonalization of Sauron, right? Of the power here. Um, he's not just calling him the power, the, the power who shall remain nameless, because he is shy about saying the name or embarrassed or ashamed to say the, to say the name. It's not that, right? There is an extra effect of um, there is an extra effect of the um, of the vagueness, right? The power in question is Sauron's power, but that's a kind of accident. It doesn't have to stay with him, or rather, yes, okay. Sauron has power. So one way of looking at this, um, if we if we think of this for a second as just a straight join the dark side recruitment speech, right? Just straight up, <clears throat> what Saruman means, really genuinely means, is I think Sauron's going to win, so let's join him, right? If that were all the purport of Saruman's speech, it would still... Here, here is what his de the depersonalization would mean. Again, it still wouldn't just be, but I don't want to say the S word, right? Um, he has said, we must have power. And behold, Sauron has power. Does he support Sauron? He does not support Sauron. Does he think that Gandalf should support Sauron? Goodness, no. What should they, the two of them, support? The power. Right? There is power there, power to be harnessed, 
power that there is a resource available to them and they could avail themselves of that resource. And that's how he goes on to talk about it, right? As the power grows, so this is a power that is on the rise, unlike the elves and everything else on dying Numenor. The power is on the rise. Not Sauron. The power is on the rise, right? Sauron is the one currently controlling the power, right? Um, but anyway, the power is growing. And that's good, right? A resource which is on the upward trend. Fantastic, right? That makes it all the more useful for us to ally ourselves with it. Well, there is hope that way. What's the phrase he's used? Join with. We may join with that power. Again, not with Sauron, with the power. What's join with the power? It would be wise. Think it through. Don't give me a knee-jerk, but he's evil reaction. Think it through, Gandalf. There is hope that way. It's victory is at hand. It's going to win right? Uh, the power is, this power is on the rise. So, um, the wise, such as you and I, may with patience come at last to direct its courses, to control it, to control Sauron, that they're going to have, they're going to like have Sauron dancing on their strings. No, the power, right? Sauron currently controls the power, but you know what? we might come to direct its courses and to control the power. Um, there's a model. There's a model for this, right? Sauron did this once. Sauron did this with Numenor. And he didn't even need all that much patience, right? Um, he could not fight the power. There was once, you know, Sauron once uh, was confronted by a power uh, that was, uh, you know, that was growing, whose victory was at hand. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, there was rich reward for those that aided it. Um, and uh, they, and with patience, he came at last to direct its courses and to control it. Right? So, um, it, it, Sauron himself did it once. They, surely, could do the same thing again, right? Um, we can bide our time. We can keep our thoughts in our hearts, deploring maybe evils done by the way, but approving the high and ultimate purpose, knowledge, rule, order. All the things that we have so far striven in vain to accomplish, hindered rather than helped by our weak or idle friends. Our resources have been abysmal, right? I mean, it is, uh, we are underfunded, we are understaffed, we cannot accomplish our high and ultimate purpose, but with not the help of the power, by harnessing this power we will be able to do this. So again, this is not a... Um, right. Uh, Frumius Bujum says he's going to worm-tongue Sauron. Hey! Yeah! Why not? That, again, that's what Sauron did, right? Sauron totally worm-tongued our Pharazon, so yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, Trifle says the thought of, uh, you know, though the idea of playing the treacherous advisor role well enough to fool the one who's easily Middle Earth trope codifier of the role is sheer hubris. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to uh, uh, to to out Sauron Sauron is going to be a trick. Um, But, you know, it's not impossible. It's totally not impossible. Right. And, and, And here's the reason it's not impossible. Sauron's not what he was, you know. Um, Sauron's in decline, too. He is. I mean, his strength is great, but it's not as great as it was before. And, you know, he had the whole, like, Numenor incident, which was embarrassing. Um, and his, I mean, his, his person is limited. I mean, he's, and his strength is greatly reduced because of the whole ring of power thing, and he doesn't have it. So, um, you know, Sauron isn't what he was. I think we could pull this off. I totally think that we could, we could, uh, we could pull this off. Um, so even in as much as this is only a straight up recruitment speech, a join the dark side speech, it is still not exactly a let's be friends with Sauron speech. It's not. It's not. Right. We are going to exploit Sauron. That's what we're going to do. Right. We're going to Sauron Sauron. Right. We're going to worm tongue Sauron. I like the worm tongue verb better. We're going to worm tongue Sauron and we're going to uh, end up in control of things. Um, <laughs> JJ says, Gandalf, it can totally work. I've got a guy already doing it in Rohan. I mean, uh, no, uh, never mind. Forget about that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I, the, the, the prototype is in operation already. Right. No problem. We're just going to roll it out on a larger scale. Um, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, but I've been saying that is if, that is if this is a straight up recruitment, join the dark side speech. But I think there's more to it as well. Um, I agree with Fourth Dauntless that it's too simplistic merely to say the power, the new power, that power equals Saruman himself, right? That he's actually talking about himself the whole time. That's too simplistic. But I also don't think that Mike and Belongsmond are wrong either. And this, I think, is another effect of speaking of the power in um, these depersonalized senses. It's not only that there is Sauron is a power who can be exploited. If we think of him less as an enemy and more as a natural resource, right? Um, again, that's one way, and I, I think the primary way that the speech needs to be understood. But I do think that there's a second meaning to it, that there's a second significance to the depersonalization of the power. It could become it is not him yet right but it could become him and that's of course where he's headed in a minute it could become him um he could become the power he could not just with patience at la- come at last to direct its courses and to control it he could have the power himself and that gives what he is saying to Gandalf about Sauron 
because in as much as the current power does have a will, right, to reward those that aided it, to have proved friends, right? I mean, those things do suggest there's a power behind, uh, there's a person behind the power, right? A will behind the power. Um, in as much as he is talking about those things there of Sauron, and I think he, he is explicitly, or not explicitly, implicitly, they have a second meaning, right? Should the power pass to Saruman, those things would be just as true of him, right? If he were to become the power, were to have the power in his own hand, then his proved friends will grow, and there will be rich reward for those that aid him. In other words, the other reason for talking about the power as a depersonalized thing is that it emphasizes the fact that the power is transferable. It's not about Sauron himself. He does happen to have the power now, but I could have it. It could pass to me, and if it passed to me, then, then all of these things would be true. It's not true yet. He's not posing in that way yet. Um, but is that in his mind? Does that, um, uh, uh, you know, does that, uh, um, you know, does that come into, uh, uh, you know, does that inform what he's saying here? Yes. Yes. I do think that that is, uh, that there is that kind of second overlay you know, over the over his speech, and it's another reason why he's so depersonalized about it. Um, yes, exactly. Um, and yes, JJ, you're right. Sauron's power, capital P, um, also exists in a convenient carrying package that anyone can take hold of. Uh, yes, yes, um, it uh, uh, it can in fact be delivered. Um, so that that is precisely right. Uh, the idea of Saruman's, of Sauron's power being readily transferable and uh, being something that is even in that sense portable, uh, it's um, it's uh, it's perfectly true, right? It, it is in fact perfectly true. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, no, I agree, for Thoughtless. I don't think Saruman would consider himself bound by this hypothetical if he got hold of the ring. Uh, no, but again, it's it is a uh, it is a, an extra dimension on his little um, recruitment recruitment speech here. Um, I can't go away without thinking at all about what he reveals about the high and ultimate purpose: knowledge, rule, order. That is the high and ultimate purpose. That is the good which only the wise can see, presumably, right? Knowledge, rule, and order. That everything should be just so, just as I deem it should be. It starts with knowledge, <clears throat> right? And Trifle, I agree, it is really interesting that he says knowledge and not wisdom. Wisdom is what he's been emphasizing to this point, right? Knowledge is a really interesting word choice there. Um, uh, <laughs> knowledge, rule, order. Zach, I agree with you. Zach says, if this were a song of ice and fire, those would be great house words. Uh, yeah. House Saruman, knowledge, rule, order. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Mad Violinist, that's an interesting way to think about it. Knowledge, uh, uh, he says, is a resource to be gathered. Wisdom is intrinsic, like you you have it or you don't, right? Um, knowledge can be can be gained. Knowledge can be accumulated. It's it's therefore a purpose. Um, wisdom is uh, a prerequisite, <laughs> perhaps, <clears throat> whereas knowledge is a purpose. The purpose is to achieve knowledge. Now, knowledge itself presumably also has a purpose, but he's listing these things, singular mind, the high and ultimate purpose, which seems to be threefold, right? This is a tripartite ultimate purpose, but the three of them together form the single purpose, ultimate purpose. So knowledge is not a means, it's an end. Wisdom, uh, to rephrase what you were saying, Chris, um, wisdom is a means, not an end in that sense, right? Knowledge is an end, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, Aslan's Compass, I do think that that means that fools are doomed to remain fools. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and Mad Violinist, I, I suspect you're right that Saruman would hate Signum. Yeah, I agree. Too much of this, uh, uh, of this talk of uh, of of application, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Good. Um, uh, sorry, who was that? Was just saying. Um, uh, sorry, I lost it. There it is. Green Great Dragon. Uh, hence, it's not the Council of the Knowing; it's the Council of the Wise. Right again, as as the sort of that's the the means. It, we, you know, wisdom helps you do things. Um, yeah, JJ, I agree. We could use that as a slogan, right? Saruman would disapprove of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's uh, th there's a certain demographic to whom that would uh, convey something important, I think. Um, but, but anyway, okay. So knowledge is an end. Rule is an end, and order is an end, right? Um, and, of course, uh, none of those things are bad things. And I think in Tolkien's world, that's perfectly clear. Knowledge is not bad. Rule is not bad. Order is not bad. None of those things are bad, right? Um, uh, kings bring order. Kings bring rule and order, and, you know, places prosper, uh, and happiness flowers when there is good rule. That is very clear, right? It's clear from Gondor, it's clear from the greater Arnor region, right? Been to Fornos lately, I mean, it's, um, you know, rule and order are good things. Knowledge is a good thing. Um, what he is putting as the high and ultimate purpose, though, are really things which are only means, not ends at all. Um, knowledge can't be an end in itself. Or what's the point of it? Rule can't be an end in itself. If your ultimate purpose is merely rule, what's the point? What, you know, who benefits from that? Well, you, the ruler, right? Um, order isn't the end. It's the means. So when he says at the end, of course, the, the final most revealing statement, there need not, there would not be any real change in our designs, only in our means. Um, 
this is, of course, as several of you were pointing out earlier, one of the most explicit, let's just, you know, ignore the means for the sake of the ends speeches that we get in all of the Lord of the Rings. It is very clear that considering, uh, you know, disregarding the means and thinking only of the ends, being willing to sacrifice means for the sake of achieving a noble end is something that... uh, of which Tolkien strongly disapproves, or of which uh, against which Tolkien cautions very strongly. Uh, Saruman's speech here is one of the most uh, explicit evidences uh, of that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, it's clear, though, that it's not only that he is willing to sacrifice. His his issues with means and ends don't only stem from the fact that he is willing to prioritize ends over means and to deplore evils done by the way, but approve the high and ultimate purpose, right? You know, that as long as it's all done for a good end, then it doesn't matter what's done along the way. Um I love how he uses the word deplore. You know, I kind of want to pull out the, I, I do not think that word means what you think it means, right? That if you deplore the evils that are done by the way, you don't sit back and watch them done, right? If you do, in fact, deplore the evils, then you don't let them happen, period. If you are willing to let it slide because you think the ends are good, then... You know, you, maybe you find it distasteful or whatever, but deploring is not what you're doing, right? It's really, it's just not. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I agree that deplore is a judgment, not an action. I agree. But my point is, if you genuinely deplore uh, an evil... And don't take action. What? No. Then you don't <laughs> genuinely deplore it. Like it's it's uh, um, it's that's j- just you just it's window dressing at that point. You know, uh, it's not um, uh, it's not uh, it's not really, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, um. Yeah. But again, it's not only that he's willing to overlook the means, that he's urging Gandalf to take the wise course of not getting bogged down in the means, but focusing instead on the ends. Um, And that always seems like wisdom. I mean, and this is, you know, one of those uh, big life application things, right? It is it is very true. Tolkien is exactly right about this. Uh, There are... um, it will very often look like wisdom to ignore the means in order to achieve the ends, right? As long as your ends are good, as long as you believe in the ends, as long as you think that they are good and right and will bring about so many wonderful and beautiful things um, that you can, you know, even if you deplore them in your heart, you, you know, you keep it to yourself and you... Um, uh, you know, but, you know, because the, the, that good end is just, is more important. Um, uh, you know, you, um, uh, 
you don't. That is, it always looks like wisdom. It always seems the wisest course of action. And to object to the means, to stand up and say, no, I don't care. I'm going to thwart, even I'm going to risk the end. I'm going to stand in the way, even though it means that this good end that you're aiming for might not be achieved, right? I'm going to risk undermining the end uh, for the sake of merely stopping an incidental evil along the way. That looks foolish, right? You got to look at the big picture. You got to be smarter than that, right? You've got to, you've got to, uh, you've got to think bigger. Um, Saruman, what Saruman says is something that many have felt uh, very strongly at many points. It seems like wisdom to do that. Um, and it seems like folly not to. Um, but uh, that's... Um, that is one of the big lessons here. And again, the way one of the ways in which I think that he sort of reveals this most clearly is that ultimate purpose. We see that he isn't only shifting the value of means versus ends in the sense of prioritizing ends over means. He is also um, putting what really are means as ends instead. He has no real ends. And that, I think, is also very wise on Tolkien's part, that your means become your ends uh, if you succumb to that way of wisdom. Um, in the end, I'm not convinced that there is a real difference between um, means and ends, uh, not in the kind of way that Saruman is suggesting here, right? Um uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, getting into deep personal applications here, but, uh, uh, but I, this is, uh, this is a, a really important kind of moral moment, um, uh, in, um, uh, in, uh, in Tolkien's world here. Um, Right. Fourth Dauntless says, you could argue that order is the end to which knowledge and rule would be pointed. Right. So if you're imagining uh, the high and ultimate purpose, so so Fourth Dauntless, am I understanding you correctly? You're suggesting that we read his three words there, not as a tripartite purpose in itself, but as a kind of flowchart, right? Um, like this is Saruman's... Um, this is Saruman's, like, corporate slogan. Slogo? How about that? That's a good word. Slogan. Slogan and logo. It's a slogan. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> hey, I invented a word accidentally. Yeah, it's his corporate slogan, right? Uh, knowledge leads to rule, which leads to order, right? Um, um, that's, uh, that's, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. That's, that's an interesting way to think about them. Um, you know, remember our motto, knowledge, then rule, then order. Um, uh, <laughs> Green Great Dragon says, Slogo Baggins needs to be a name. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Bilbo and Frodo's, uh, 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 you know, uh, corporate second cousin, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Slogo, the market, 
the marketing exec for the West Farthing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, however, I would still say, even if um, Fourth Dauntless, we think of those three words in that way, not as kind of three, the three static pillars of the ultimate purpose, right? Um, but rather a progression towards the ultimate purpose. It still puts order as the final purpose. And that still seems a means and not an end. I still maintain that order itself is clearly a means and not an end. Um, I know people, and I love some of them very, very much, uh, for whom you might almost mistake order for an end instead of a means. That everything should be in its right place uh, is an end rather than a means. So I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to... Uh, speak with any prejudice against that point of view, perhaps. Um, but I still say, if that's the overall, if that's the ultimate purpose, right? If that's the ultimate purpose. And I don't think that even the dear people of whom I am thinking, whom I love very much, uh, and who are large proponents of order, um, I don't think that even they would say that that's the ultimate purpose, Right. I think that even they would say that order serves a purpose like peace of mind and happiness and efficiency uh, of being able to accomplish other things. Again, it's still a means. Right. Um, even if it's not the ultimate, um, the ultimate means. Um, am I defending messy bedrooms? Yes. Uh, uh, it's not my mother I'm primarily thinking of here. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm not going to get more personal and say something I will regret uh, uh, into the public record. Um, what I'm saying is order's not an end. And I don't think that even people who are most committed to the concept of order in their personal lives, uh, even they would say that it is the ultimate purpose. Um, uh, but, Rowan, that's a really important point. Um, Melkor, right, the, uh, the ultimate uh, uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, moving force for evil in Middle-earth is very much associated with chaos, right? Um, with uh, uh, the word that Tolkien used several times in his later writings, we were just talking about this um, in uh, our Morgoth's Ring discussion last Wednesday, we'll be finishing that up this Wednesday, um, is um, uh, uh, nihilism, right? That, that he's just like, he's about the, uh, the destruction, simple destruction of everything. Um, and, um, so yes, he is in that sense, has, he has devolved into essentially a sort of a principle for chaos. But, um, I do agree, Ambrosius Aurelianus, that Sauron is definitely more orderly than Morgoth was. He doesn't share that, but also 
Ambrosius, again, as, as Tolkien is talking about in some of these later essays that we were reading about in Morgoth's Ring, uh, this is, you know, stuff that comes like a decade later after the publication of The Lord of the Rings. Um, he says that, yes, Sauron was different from Morgoth in that way. And what did Sauron admire about Morgoth? Why did he join Morgoth in the first place? Because he admired... He said to himself at one point, young Sauron did, if young is a word you could apply, um, early Sauron said to himself, um, a new power is rising. Against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us in all, at all. There is no hope left in the Valar. Right? This, you know, I may join with that power. Um, power. The power... Power is a resource to get things done. This is what Sauron was interested in. This is what he admired. That is what he worshipped in Melkor. Um, for reason, as a means to ends. Sauron had ends that were different from simply destructiveness. So he was different from Melkor. But um, Sauron. Tolkien also emphasizes that as Sauron goes along, um, he degenerates. Um, going down the same path that Morgoth himself went down and uh, becoming more nihilistic and more um, tainted with this impulse to destruction, to simple destruction. Um, so he becomes less orderly, in a sense, as time goes down. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, oh, uh, yeah, Arden Cran says, does policies have a different connotation in Tolkien's time? In Tolkien's time? Sounds very bureaucratic now. Yeah. Uh, to, to, uh, um, to your, in his, uh, phrase, where's, uh, where's the line, uh, we may come to, uh, to control it. Um, uh, where, where is it? I'm losing it. Is, is the word used here? Um, oh, old allies and policies. There it is. Further off the paragraph. Sorry. Against it, the old allies and policies will not avail us at all. Yeah. He's certainly not using the word in the way that it tends to be used nowadays. Like, this is corporate policy, right? Um, he doesn't mean policy in the sense of a written code of you know, rules and procedures that guide how we do things around here, right? That's not what he means. A policy, you know, just means, uh, I guess if I had, um, uh, if I had to give a synonym that fits what he's getting at in, but, but it is a modern word that we, I would say maybe plans, um, the old allies and plans will not avail us at all or like approaches basically, um, yeah, he doesn't mean like a codified system of how we do things. Um, we're going to have to throw out the policy manual and write a new one. Right. Um, um, he means, uh, he means our, um, the way that we've done things, you know, that our, our approaches, again, it's, it's not, it is the same word as you can see, but it's not, we, we tend to use that word. That word has kind of, as words so often do narrowed over time until it, you know, we really tend to only use it in a very sort of, as you say, bureaucratic and kind of legalized way. Um, uh, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it does have, as uh, Hebejibia is saying, I mean, it's it's the same word that politics comes from. You know, the the um, the plans, approaches, strategies that you take for you know ruling and approaching things, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's why it sounds modern uh, to you. It's not a modern word. Um, uh, policy. Uh, policy and uh, um, even the word politic, like the old politic with a CK at the end, like it would not be politic uh, to do that. Of course, Tolkien uses that word too. Um, uh, Saruman, indeed, will use that word later on uh, in his speech uh, to, uh, you know, to Theoden. Um, it's, it's more like, it's more like that. So no, it's, it's a very old word. It's just that we, you now have a new and sort of narrower set of associations with, I mean, we all do right in the modern world. Um, so yeah. Um, yep. Um, okay. Um, there we go. Uh, Frumius Bujum gives the Oxford, uh, the OED definition, the archaic defini definition, um, Prudent or expedient conduct or action. There you go. Um, uh, prudent or expedient conduct or action. Sure, I can get behind that. Um, the course of action that we have been taking, right? Or the courses of action that we have been taking in conjunction with our old allies. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, okay, cool. All right, so I didn't get to do two passages. We did one passage, but it's a doozy. You have to admit, this is a big passage, right? This is a uh, this is a this is a very very important passage. Hold this stuff in mind for next week as we return to Saruman and Gandalf, and we get the third phase of Saruman's approach to Gandalf. Right? We had the declamation phase. We had the. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the, uh, how should we say, um, the kind of insider phase, right? Let me give you the scoop about what's happening, right? There's this power. Think about, don't forget enemy in simplistic terms. Think about power. And we're going to get the third phase next time. Um, okay. Yes. So, um, uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, well, let me, up first uh, and say thanks for joining me tonight. We're going to shift over to the field trip. Um, and uh, <clears throat> of course, I'm going to be shutting down the Twitter feed. Uh, so those of you who are still with us can feel free to join me at twitch.tv slash signumu. All right. And um, now, Fourth Dauntless, I will answer your other question. The Dante reading schedule is going up soon. I am finalizing it tonight. My plan is to do no more than three cantos a week. That's my goal, three cantos a week. I know it's going to sound like a crazy goal to this crowd, but really, that's, I think, what we'll be able to do. Um, not the first week, though. Uh, if, if we make the first canto in the first week, I'll be fairly pleased. Um, uh, so if you want to be safe, start reading the first two cantos of Inferno, because um, we're, we're starting our discussion of Inferno next week, next Wednesday. Um, first two cantos ought to do you uh, for the first week, no question. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. Yeah. 
Good evening. How are you, Valerie? Doing all right. Good. Doing all right. Looking forward to Halloween. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So, well, um, what's left, you know. <laughs> right. We're, we're right. making do. We're making do. We're are you guys trick-or-treating down there? No, it's been canceled out yeah. here. But we're, uh, we're going to be making goodies and watching what scary movies everyone wants to watch. No one, no one really likes the hardcore stuff except me. Right, but, right. Yeah, well, we're, um, yeah. uh, we're, uh, we actually do have, uh, uh, trick-or-treating going on here, um, you know, with some caution, but, uh, you know, we're lucky here in Northern New England, we still have the lowest incident rates anywhere. Um, so things are a little yeah, looser up here. Right. Yeah, we have been. I don't know what it is, like. I don't know. I, don't I guess know. it's just I know New some York buddies of mine where it's still open. They were figuring out zip lines, like they were doing zip lines from their windows to a tree with a little bucket. Of with candy. a little bucket of candy, like, yeah, like yeah. the Wensler, you know. Yeah, no, I'm, you know, I, you know, there will be, uh, you know, the 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 process will be a little bit different. You know, the candy handoff process will be a little bit different, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, um, it's. Uh, all right, I'm going to start inviting fellowship. All right, very good. Yeah, because we can go from here. So tonight we're going to finish. We're going to finish Angmar tonight. Big deal. We're going to finish Angmar tonight. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Fine. So we're going to do the instance. Okay. Yep. Of Karndoom again. And... We have exactly six people this time around with uh, two bears. That should be awesome. There we go. We have plenty All of right. bears. So let me launch that. Karen Jim is Lear. All right. Okay, going in. All right. So, of course, we've been discussing, and I'd be interested to hear from folks what they think. We've been discussing, um, we've been discussing what to do next, because we've been in Angmar for quite some time now. Oh, yeah. You know, we took a couple breaks to do other things, uh, like all of Kelondim, didn't we? <laughs> like all of Erd Lewin was yeah. kind of a break yeah. in the middle of, uh, like, of yeah. Angmar. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and we've done Rivendell already and we're still in Rivendell and shall be still for some time. Um, obviously, we will proceed down and look at the game's depiction of Eregion when we get to Eregion, you know, when we get to uh, the Ringo South in the narrative. But yep. we still have some time before hmm. the Ringo South. So, um we are, um, however, there's, of course, a great deal of game world which exists that is not part of the linear narrative uh, of, the, of the novel, you know, of the story. That's true. Uh, so uh, we can take, you know, and this is what we've been, we've been doing in the, you know, but as we've moved through, we've done most of, I could pause for just a second, look at the map, not that map, this map. Um, We've done 
uh, and most of this. We did the Trollshaws, the Lone Lands, Bree, North Downs, even Dim, Forakel, um, Arid Lewin, and the Shire. So we've done, you know, all this stuff. Um, you know, almost finished with Angmar. Uh, again, the only thing left to continue the discussion of, you know, Eriador here is to go down to Eregion and Enidwyth and Dunland. Um, but I don't want to do Eregion, so we might as well save Enidwyth and Dunland until later. And there will be a great deal of time during, like, the two towers in which we can be looking at um, Dunland and Enidwyth. Uh, so, uh-huh. you know... We'll see what we can do there. Um, but it does seem, therefore, that it's it's kind of logical, having completed most of Eriador, to be expanding outwards because, uh, of course, the whole Ravanian area um, is... There's now a great deal of game material here, including, of course, the new expansion that was just released um, in Gundabad. Um, so, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff up here uh, which... Uh, around here, I should say, um, which will give us um, plenty of stuff to talk about while we're um, uh, while we're waiting uh, yeah, yeah. to move along. Um, so that's my thought, essentially. Um, uh, my thought is that we can, go, and I think that a really cool place to start would be the Gladden Fields. Um, um, okay. That would be oh, cool. Oh, just a sec. I, I left the kettle on. Hang on. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. No problem. Oops. I barely remember. had another half hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I, I, even though I started a little bit late, but I'm trying to end on time anyway. No, no. It's much appreciated. Thank I'm you. Try not to punish right. people for the fact that I was delayed. Um, but anyway, um, be, you know, be, of course, being connected to, we've been talking a lot about the Gladden Fields, obviously, uh, in, with the, the provenance of the ring discussion. Um, so it seems a sort of a sensible place uh, to begin the uh, our branching out here. And then from there, we can kind of wander about until we get back to uh, Eregion at the end. You guys, um, you guys need to come over the gate before it closes or something. Oh, yeah, sorry. Re- sorry, here I, I should, Yeah, I should probably yeah. do that. Good call. Um, don't go back. Okay. Anyway, so um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's the uh, okay. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. On and because because we did the Misty Mountains too, didn't we? From when we were in Rivendell. Uh, I think we saw. Uh, if we did, I'm not sure. I feel I, like I, we I did. See, I, I have a hard part. time keeping track because, of course, I you know, I, yeah. I I've done things with Grifflet and I've done things. You know, I've done a bunch of different kinds of tours, and Misty Mountains yeah. are a place I've been a bunch of different times. Yeah, we we did Misty Mountains, I think so. I think we did. I have a vague memory that we did do that. Um, it was mostly goblin stuff, anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Punting confirms that we did do the the Misty Mountains long ago. I, I thought we did that after Lang we did Rivendell. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, um, what what I idea I have? I don't know if anyone. My, for my two cents, um, it'd be interesting to visit some of these places that were just mentioned in the Council of Elrond, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. it's still fresh in our memory, that are we will not see in further travels, like yeah, Mirkwood exactly. or the Blue Hills. Um, hey, like or, Tharbad! Uh, oh, wait. Or Long Lake. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. Um, Tharbad being the great city that doesn't exist in... Uh, yeah, well... Like, come on, guys. How hard is that? 
I'm such a whiner, right? I mean, oh, so much we've been given in here. Okay, I find like the one location in like all of Eriador that they haven't done. It's just like it feels like a hole, right? It feels like a hole in Eriador. That's where Kierden lives, right? With no, no, no. And that's where uh, Tharbat is. This it's the crossing of the Grey Flood, where the green, uh, the, oh. the green. It's where where Boromir lost his horse. That's right. right that's so right. So I want to go and find the skeleton of Boromir's horse. You know, that's all. So, all right. Is this where uh, we have? I want to see. I want to see Kierden in his ship in his shipyard. Oh well, yeah, yeah, sure. To get the, uh, uh, to get the the havens, that would be great. Um, uh, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh no, wait. Yeah, his horse did return riderless, didn't it? His horse yes. didn't die. They just got separated, and his horse went yeah. back home. Right, right, right. Or so I was forgetting that line in. Uh, um, oh, oh, that's right. The named yeah. dude, with really fancy armor, actually. Yeah, sees you have made a wrong turn. It. That's best folk. That is definitely best folk. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, so and we're still no side entrances here, right? Okay, right. These were the ones, right, yeah. with the really snug nineteenth century uh, uh, nooks there on the sides. Reading, reading nooks, that. yeah. Okay, yeah. No, the Tower Hills would be good. I agree, but I don't want to just turn this into a like. Let's all complain about like the parts of Middle Earth that Lotro hasn't built yet. Um, yeah, it's pretty epic. Because <laughs> I mean, look again. Like I feel like super ungrateful, and I'd feel a little bit cranky if I were Standing Stone and I were hearing us just complaining about what isn't there, because there's all this world that I have never even seen yet, or maybe yeah, I've I run even through seen once, the new but. Stuff yet. I mean, I've never, I've never been to the Garden Fields. I've never been there. I've, I've, I've seen the Carrick. I've run through there, and and uh, you know, I've run from there yeah. to, uh, you know, through Workwood. But I've never, um, I've never seen the Garden Fields and stuff. So, yeah. Anyway, I would love to explore that. Um, but anyway, so yeah, visiting some of the places. That, I mean, obviously, Minas Tirith is one of the places mentioned, and we'll get there eventually. Um, so there's no need to rush it. All of these doors are. This is all just still one direction, right? There's no. This looks. It, like, it's definitely hurting us in some yeah, place. Yeah, it's definitely hurting us somewhere. This is where we got, right? This is where we ended. Yeah. Before, okay. So I should I should start paying attention. Um. Um. Ooh, atmospheric. Okay. Oh, more. Hey, wait. Did we get here? Because this is where they're oh, yeah, hanging from the Maribel, rafters. Yeah, it Maribel. looks the same as the other one, but it's not. Yeah, we did get through here. Right? With more nooks, yeah, right? More identical cozy nooks. Right? Okay, yeah. Yep. We did these with the Maravile, and then we got through, and then we got to the next. It was on the top of the next stairs that we ended, or in the next stairwell. It's like right? Because when it shifts chapels. to the orange light, it's all coming back to me now. It's like there's little chapels on the side. Yeah, they are almost like little lady chapels or something like that. Yeah. Like the the big ones. Except, you see they, except the, they're the so domestic. Cathedrals. Yeah, they, they uh, it doesn't look reverent. It looks comfy. Yeah, what's up with the scaffolding, scaffolding here? Are they doing some improvements? It's all broken off. It did not go well. It would seem. Yeah, it was almost like oh well, we've got some scaffolding. It doesn't quite fit here. Let's just get the troll to snap it off from the top, and then we can use it. But I don't know for what. It looks like there was scaffolding, and then it just got sort of fell apart later like they never bothered to take it down yeah oh, look at the design at the bottom of the in the bottom of the bowl of the brazier there oh 
Let me figure out which which way it goes. Oh yeah. Maybe this way. Looks a bit like one of those two-tailed sirens. Yeah, slightly Ouroboros-like, but not quite. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it does look like there's a there's a head which looks sort of like a serpent's head. But instead of it biting the tail of another snake, it looks like a second snake is emerging out of its mouth like a tongue, which is kind of freaky. Yeah. It's like an Aran, but like... Yeah. Yeah. It's like alien. It's more like... There we go. Xenomorph. We yeah. We it down. It's Xenomorph sculpture. Xenomorph sculpture? Okay, there we go. Yeah. Interesting. Also, okay. notice the columns are have like been completely covered up by metal paneling. Yeah, and it's the it's the it's the the rusty wooden pan. It's the, it's the yeah, rusty, rusty wooden. It's the rusty metal panning paneling. Um, Might be as old as the scaffolding. Like maybe. Was a it, job. Yeah, was it reinforced exactly? Did they have to? They felt like they had to boost up those because those do seem to be load bearing. Um, you know, they felt like they had to reinforce this when they came back because it's yeah. With like from up here, you can see like the the joint right. Kind of dark, yeah, the rivets. Yeah, you can see where it's been riveted in here. It's definitely just kind of maintaining here. Yeah, but they never took the scaffolding down. They're just like, eh, leave it. Right. Well, that's just typical, isn't it? Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the detail work on this wood, which we were looking at last time, is probably old. The wood uh-huh. looks all mottled and old. Um, looks very elven. It does. It does, which is really so is interesting. That. Wait, who's sleeping up there? What? It, what is sleeping? Is it? Oh, it's a. It's a woman. Oh, it's a, it's one of the spider sorcerers. Spider sorceresses. Okay. And oh then, nope, she brought buddies. Tons of hillmen. Look at all these oh, hillmen. Oh boy! My goodness! It's a jamboree. It sure is. That is. I'm How's trying to remember. I'm trying to remember when I saw so many ads. Is that? Come out all at once. That is... Boy, Wigan would have been so happy right there, but Narnian less so. Um, Okay, so... And there again, we can see... um, Boy, she took a little bit of putting down there. Um, Yeah, she did. uh, Anyhow, so um, once again, we can see... Notice the dynamic there. The woman in Angmarim garb, right? The full Angmarim priestess approach, right? Mm -hmm. Says the word and all of these tribal-looking hillmen come, you know, pouring out um, of the alcoves there. Um, Clearly suggesting that that this is a modern corruption or sort of re-corruption, right? Of their culture. Um, That many of them still sort of stick to the old ways, like from a territorial perspective right they still they still look like the helmet but they're now ruled by those among them who have joined with you know the new power as it has been re-arising um got some more does make you wonder about these elder gods over here whether they are part of the the old hillman ways that carried over with the new angmar ways yeah and i have to think i have to think that the watchmen are old um, uh-huh. based on the Watchmen plot that we got, you know, in that quest um, oh, yeah. that we had to do. It was the Lost quest. Technology, wasn't it? Right, Lost Technology, exactly. So I do think that it was that it's a Witch King thing, um, ultimately. 
Uh, even the, the way in which, like, evil spirits are being trapped and enforced into this uh, uh-huh. is that's the Witch King all over, right? I mean, that seems to be his technique. Witness the Barrow Downs, right, where we see similar things happening. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I think this is a torture room. <laughs> Maybe. This one is? There's, yeah, it's got straps and knives on it. Oh, over there. Right. Yep. Right, yeah, it's like a well, it's like Those a little are... torture workbench. Yeah. Uh, right, but they're kind of roughing it. I mean, it's. Uh, yeah. I mean, not that I'm saying they should be performing their torture in a sanitized, you know, operating <laughs> Can theater. Can I get but... crafting experience for that? <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying is that um, these nooks are parallel to the other nice, like Edwardian nooks that we were seeing downstairs. Um, yeah. But. Oh, there's no furnishings. Other, I mean, if you don't count the little torture table yeah, and the little this, weapon rack as furniture. What about the shield I and know. the swords here? I haven't seen anything like that. No, no. It's very striking. Um, even the good guy weapons. Yes. Yeah. Even the style sh- of the sword. And the fact they're still shiny and clean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who could wield a shield that big? That's It's big. completely Aorning? enormous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... It's bigger than my bear. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, that tall. shield looks like it's about seven feet tall uh, from top wow. to bottom. Um, it's also a free people's design, mainly because you can craft it and you can get it yeah. as a quest drop. Hmm. Also, that broad... The, the double-handed broadsword, that's, that's got to be eight feet long. Yes. Yeah. Um... Oh, they're, they're both double-handed. One's got a different hilt on it. Yeah, one has, like, no cross guard, which is weird for an yeah, enormous no two-handed sword. You know, to it's have... not very safe. <laughs> right. They come charging at you, and you impale them, and they just keep on coming. Um, Maybe it's supposed to be used more like a lance. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Ponton about this. Um, were they crafted for somebody? Are they decoration? I mean... If if they were crafted by the free peoples because these are free people designs, who used them? Why why are they here? I, I don't they understand. Don't, they don't look like they belong at all. I, it it almost reminds me of those tales you hear. It's like the reverse story of the cursed painting. Mm-hmm. Like they took over this place and you know they tried to remove the cursed painting, but it wouldn't come down. It's almost <laughs> right. like this is the cursed castle right. that has the good art right. piece that won't right. come down. Yeah. Except I think the bad guys built the castle, right? So, I mean, it, yeah, it so wasn't ever this? a good guy's place. So I'm thinking, Drunk it seems to me that the best um, the best explanation of this, or the one that comes most readily to my mind anyway, is that this is these are trophies. Or these were taken off of good guys. Hey, very... Except, there aren't any in the other chambers here. No. Okay, you mean nowhere around in this room, yeah. Uh, we yeah, have I never look. seen this in the entire game. Yeah, I, I, I don't recall that either. Um, it's hard to imagine, as you say. It's like, ignoring the fact that there's no good guy who could wield it. Um, that we know of. How tall do Nomenorians get? Well, pretty tall. Pretty tall. Elendil was like eight feet tall. Um, yeah. But at the same time, look, if that were a Lendl's personal shield, it would be in a better display case than that, right? I mean, like, 
you know, yeah. Sauron wouldn't have left Elendil's personal shield lying around in a nook in a back corner of a, you know, of, of a of, of Karn Doom. Oh, look, wait, more. Where, From Mora and the from? 50 Hillmen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I can't imagine that it could be a Numenorean. I mean, that it could be Numenorean is the only, I mean, good guy weapons Numenorean, of enormous size general. suggests yeah. that. You know, I mean, it, it, it really yeah. does. But... <laughs> Uh, so some relic of his ancient foes, which were defeated, you know, seems um, at least possible. But I don't know. And OUSs, I don't think they exist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't... I really don't know. Um, but I do agree that they certainly do look like, you know, free people weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they're not just corrupted like everything else here. Okay. Oh, and now we're in purple. Now I don't think we're going in rainbow order here, but mm, we're definitely sticking to the secondary colors. Yeah. Which are traditionally evil colors. Like look at the Joker and right. You know the Riddler. Right. All those guys use secondary color palettes. The uh, design. Oh, ooh. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, ooh hang on. Don't it. kill this guy yet. I want to. I want to see him. Okay, so he's wearing gloves. Anything on his? No, very plain cloak. I'm not saying. Oh, course. come on. That was rude. Just splitting into pieces and flying apart when I was trying to look at your clothing. But I didn't Don't see fall any designs on, on us, it at buddy. All. I know. Seriously, hold it together, man. So, um, Gorthul, would that be like a gray spirit then? Oh. If okay, a Kargul is a red one and a Nazgul no, is a black one, would a Gurkul would be a gray one or a Not white ephemeral. one? Oh, he is ephemeral, I guess. I don't speak Arabic, here. unfortunately. I really like the design of those yeah. uh, AoE effects. Guardians will not be tolerated. Guardians? What? It's just like... Oh, the a guardian. The guardian must have killed him. Oh, what? Your champion's blades will be useless. No boy. So he's doing all these ad hominem speeches? Yeah. Well, Call your captains off if you wish to live. Nice. He's picking off each of us. It's mechanics for the event. Nice. Yep. It's fun. Nope. Hunter's still gonna shoot. Ooh, okay, here we go. Um, oh. Nothing. <laughs> Yeah, no. No. No designs at all, just plain gray. Except like those the, very like, striking gloves. Well, the red one's got the beautiful trim on it. Exactly, on that's what I was on. looking for. I was looking at the trim to see if there was uh, to see if, if there was anything there. What if he's lower rank then? In the cargo. Or it could be higher. I mean it you know, the the very plainness of it could indicate Oh, we're going back to Saruman's theory of the incorruptible shade. Well, you know, I'm I'm thinking of. Uh, Whoa, I'm thinking of distance from humanity, right? Like oh. the Cargold being the first step, um, and uh, so sort of maintaining some of the like, uh, 
you know, kind of ideas and affectations. Like the the ring rates, vanity, clothing, totally optional, right? I mean, like they don't care. Um, yeah. You know, their cloaks are just to give shape to their formlessness when they want to interact with people. You know, in some kind of like non utterly terrifying way. You know, like the gaffer or farmer maggot um, or Bill Fernie. I do wonder what that would look like though. What? As as a a robeless Nazgul trying to interact with someone. Right. Yeah. Like the the hissing voice coming from nowhere and the yeah no yeah. it would be I mean and plus just the feeling of the uh, of the uh, presence of the Nazgul. Now I'm a little concerned. Why is this all glowing red? Yeah, I don't see a light source. I mean, when the downstairs ones were glowing orange, it looked like it was just the cozy fire. That's why I've been using the adjective cozy uh, to describe these um, little nooks in the corners here. Um, Yeah, this is decidedly uncozy. Very. And uh, even though they have a nice Edwardian wardrobe, still, it's not cozy. Um, the like bizarre ambient colored light yeah, in Karn Doom is really wow. interesting because we've got the color mask of the Red Death that got the black room with the red light everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, so we've got the purple torches, right? But even like just like here, you've got the purple torches flanking both inside and out of the alcove, and yet the alcove is not purple. The only light source we see is purple. It's red. Here's the shield again. It's behind the scaffolding. Wait, there's another one? The other torch. Yeah, in the other torture chamber over here. Oh, right. Yep, there we go. Okay, so there was a set. So it's Ooh, clearly... and a cage. Uh, pale folk cage? No? It's no. It's for me. Yeah. Hobbit cage. Could be a person cage. I don't know. Humans fit in. Free person cage. Yep. Non-Numenorean cage. Um, yep. <laughs> okay. So so those shields and swords came from a set then. Um, yeah. They could be like Numenorean army gear, slightly exaggerated inside. They might, you know, they might look bigger than they are, you know, hanging up on the, hanging up on the wall. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, that would seem kind of fitting for them to take old Numenorean war gear which they don't really mean to reuse yeah. and, and hang it as trophies around to show like vanquished Numenor. Oh man, this is like making a fog on this. Yeah, the haze is what I, I'm looking at here. Don't breathe it in. Yeah, that's really interesting. You almost don't want to go up the stairs through that, do you? Right, exactly. Kind of hold your breath. And now the um, now the ambient light is matching the torches again. We've got now this, uh, I would call it, yeah. rather than white, I would call this, that, that that's like the classic pale light, right? Yeah. And now it's becoming bluish pale again. Now, also notice the piles of filth are just, we're getting calf deep on these now. Yes. Yeah, they are getting deeper, which is interesting. Like, order is is almost like breaking down the further and further we get. Or like, they haven't really bothered to clean it. They've built it up a little bit. Ooh, look. No, I was going to say uh, it's a choice like of the ways. Masters, I feel like it's because the masters don't have any need for things like hygiene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, oh, we do have a choice of ways. Nope, this is a locked door. I can't open this door. No? Okay. No, okay. It's fine. Who needs it? Okay. But none of these doors have exits. Do you think the filth on the floor was the source of the ambient light? It almost looked like, uh, like that because the, the the filth on the floor was fairly luminescent. I mean, it was not blocking the light. It was... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure like some of the spiders and stuff with the little glowy bits on them, mm -hmm. like that could make a bioluminescent. A scenic overview. How thoughtful. Oh, this is the one we saw in the intro in Galadriel's dream. Yeah. Can I stand it out here? Except I'm too short. I need a box or something to stand on. Yeah, I know. Shall I get you something to stand on? If I yeah, do first Listen person. Listen to me, Angmarim. Obey locked. me, and I will give you some cookies. I'm looking for... Okay, so we can see that... Oh, man, I wish I could look down. Let me, let me get up a little bit, and then... Get a group shot, but that's about it. Angle it down. It's hard. Yeah, I know, right? Can I jump up? No, not quite. Okay, I can't get up on the rail. Okay, I think this is the best I'm going to do. <laughs> uh, yep. All right. I dig it. Hang on. Let me get a screenshot here. Okay. Um, it's, hard to go, it's hard to go very far out. It is. It is. Okay, so there we can see the neighborhoods that we came through. Unfortunately, this does not give us a view of anything we really haven't seen. Yeah. Um, if we could see that little village by the gate. Yeah. But the thing that is most clear, that is most striking to me from this vantage point as we're looking out over the whole thing, nowhere in sight, unless it's maybe on that distant cliff over there, but I don't think even there, nowhere in sight do we see any of the black and white walls that I was expecting, you know? Um, that I was expecting, you know, all along as we've been going through Angmar, I've been expecting that those black and white, you know, those old black and white stripy walls, that that's what the walls of Karn Doom were going to look like. And they don't. Yeah, like the ones in the southeast on, on the hill over there. Right, exactly. I think, I think that is, yes, uh, over there. But we did see that, that those walls in Uragarth. But we yes. haven't seen them anywhere in Karn Doom. After, not after we got, we you know we saw them in like the outskirts of Uragarth and sort of the initial suburbs, but certainly once we've crossed the line and gotten closer to the heart of Karn Doom, we've not seen it anywhere. Um, and yeah. so that really does seem to me that we therefore almost have to conclude that those old walls predate Old Angmar, that Old Angmar itself. Um, found a fortress here, and it wasn't Karndum, it was Uragarth, right? That Uragarth was the original stronghold of whatever, maybe a Numenorean one, right? I mean, that, one yeah, would have right. to think. I mean, who else would make it? It's not dwarvish architecture. Um, so, so it would seem to be most likely Arnorian architecture, though it looks very different from the other Arnorian architecture, but still, it feels like that conclusion seems forced upon us, that there was an Arnorian stronghold up here which the Witch King took over um, 
when he moved in and he made that stronghold into Urgarth um, and then built his own place here next door uh, in this mm-hmm. other newer style. And, and the that hills would, are not in the valley surrounded by hills. Right, which is not a bad idea, really, if you're looking for defenses. But, um, but yeah, that... Um, and, of course, but it would make sense that the original Arnorians who built the original strongholds weren't necessarily primarily thinking about defenses because, I mean, they built walls, but they weren't worried about being besieged because who was going to besiege them? I mean, you yeah. know, there were ornery critters and, and uh, you know, and, you know, I don't know how friendly the hillmen were with the Numenorians. There was always the possibility of, you know, revolt by the locals. But, um, uh, but still, they wouldn't have had enemies up here, you know, in the years before the Witch King came. So, okay, is this is this the end? Is there is there I another? There's a big big old battle. What do you think? Right, I was kind of expecting a boss fight at some point, but I'm awfully glad we got to the scenic overlook. Yeah. Um. Oh, I'm getting my mini map is getting confused by the multiple levels. Oh, wait, here's an uh, openable door, yeah? No. Oh, yeah, there's a couple here. Except it's not. Oh. Here we go. Oh. Um, sort of. It's an anteroom! Hooray! An antechamber! Uh-oh. More out here. Oh. Maybe we have to kill all these guys, and then we can go in the central Ooh. one. I don't remember seeing them in, like, plate mail before. Huh. Yeah, I like the little cowls as well. Yeah. Bats. Nope. Bats, okay. Lots of bats. So these are just antechambers full of enemies. Oh, look at this. Oh, it's a chorus line. Holy cow. An evil Sissy chorus line. My goodness. That was intimidating. Yeah. Okay. It did look Robert Palmer-esque, Stun Duck. They, they could have been in a particularly evil Robert Palmer video. <laughs> oh, a cargoal. There was a cargoal with the fancy robes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh-oh, uh-oh, And now, uh-oh. here we go. Here's the big one. Oh, look at the window. The seat, seat of, of the, the Witch, Witch King. King. I've never seen this in my life. Okay. That's First, the draperies. Would you look at the draperies? We have covered the entire walls with red, blood red draperies, which are textured. Look at that. They're woven into this, like, they've got that vine thing. I thought it was just like, um, you know, water stains, but no, No. it's a design, um, like a spiky bramble vine. Yeah. Brocade, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, evil brocade. Evil brocade. Evil brocade. No question. But it does seem that these, these guys are not removed from humanity as much as we might think. This is a very vain and beautifully decorated throne room. Yeah, it really is. And the, the no, the crown is upside down. Have we ever seen the crown upside down like that? Is it a crown? 
Well, it's like the Iron Crown. Oh. But it's, it's also... It's mimicking the design at the other end. Right. It's also like the eye, but it's not the eye. It doesn't have a cat slit there. It is like sun rays. It's like the eye, sort of like the eye, and then acting like the sun and shining out. And yet, it's almost the obverse. No, obverse isn't quite the right word. It's almost just the reverse of the Iron Crown. Yeah, it directly mirrors the one in the window. Of course, the, the other thing that it directly mimics is the Numenorean star with the beam shining down, right? Oh, yeah, with the, yeah, with the beam going down like that. Check out the Yeah, just, just what Catriona was saying, a, a, a parody of the Numenorean star, yeah. The Look at the tiles. who? The floor tiles. The floor tiles. Ooh. There's your iron crown. Right. Yeah, yeah. And quadruplicate. The donut of death. The iron crown everywhere. Facing in every direction. Notice the, the gold embellishments on the pillars look a lot like those little orange wedges we've seen. They do. Yes, I agree. That does look like an adaptation of that stylistic motif from the from the, the hillmen. And the so pillars is, are hollow. Is that a kind of um, yeah. is that a kind of cultural appropriation on, on the part of the Witch King, you think? Bread and circuses, maybe. Well, you know, just Look, thinking. I put your orange god in my temple. Right, exactly. Look how nice like, I am. Yeah, see, it's decorated with the. It's like your little orange sections, but bigger and better, and in Longer. service of me, and made of gold and cooler than yours. Um, uh, is this open to the air? Because I'm not seeing windows up here, but I see the sky. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Look at that. It's like an old mead hall. It's like, what this looks like Elrond's it's like mid- joint. Elrond meets Medusa. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's got that upside down ship kind of look. Yes. Yeah, with the with the vaulting. Wooden vaulting, which is interesting. Yeah, wooden vault. With gold accents on it that look like wolf's heads and bat wings and all yeah. sorts of lovely Tim Burton-y things. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the the statues. Now, I'm thinking that these statues would they have been now the the visual of the statues holding the brazier with the multicolor flames. You see, they're like rainbow color flames coming out of there. Um, the rainbow flames emerging from the braziers being held. It's almost like. Um, Again, these statues were the like the prisons of these spirits. Um, yep. These evil spirits, the water spirits, but they—it's um, almost like they're they're hold, like the flames represent those spirits that are being held, you know, by the statues. But escape. hang on a second, hold the phone. These statues have faces, don't they? Oh yeah. Noses well. and mouths and eyes. That's a human you know, face. As, Surrounded by the horns? As much as any of the watchers had a face. No, no, no. I think like actual human face. Am I making it up? Is it just a, an illusion from where I'm standing? Maybe it is. It looks a lot like the ones I saw, that sort of baddish, wrinklish, alien looking thing. You see what I'm seeing from here? 
looks like an eye and a nose and a mouth there. It looks like a profile of a face, but actually, yeah, when I come closer, it is not so. It's more like a mandrel snout. Yes. It's just the patterning, which from the side looks like a face. Wow, I wonder if that's deliberate. Because that's looks a, like a face rock. That is a, a, a startling visual effect. From here, it looks like a face. Huh. Yeah, the braziers right that there, only have a design on them. It looks like it has. It looks like it has a face with horns, and then you come close, and it's like, no, it's not a face. It's a gaping maw. It's just the inside. Yeah, it's, it's oh. like a, it's wow. like a butterfly trick in reverse. Yeah, that's really interesting. Or anglerfish. That's interesting design on the bull. I almost see like arrows and swords and stuff. I, I it looks really almost it like the uh, design. The uh, you know these those palm frond designs that look like the orange yeah. slices. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite the same, but it's almost like that. Almost. Similar to it, anyway. It did make me wonder. You mentioned the spirits and the lamps and stuff like that. It's like, is this the new clean source of energy, but it's creating this weird spiritual pollution? Right, right. Oh, you mean in the sky? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like the, the lich factories. So, also, I have to admit that I'm slightly disturbed about the fact that these, like hideous, only vaguely semi-humanoid statues which have no legs, arms, but arms which end in fingers six feet long, and no faces but a gaping maw, also have nipples. I think I've yeah, noticed this that's... before, but it's disturbing every time I notice no, it. No, that is disturbing. I, I agree. I'm, Honestly, I'm the first time... I saw it, I thought it was ladies, and I'm like, whoa, Standing Stone got away with that? Right. No, I think those are boy nipples, but still. Just nipples, guys. <laughs> but still, but nipples. Yeah, no, that, yeah. No, it makes it too mammalian. It does make exactly. it too mammalian. Yes, just like the, the, the whole association with the mammalian situation is... is okay. uh, it, like disturbing. if it had a row of, if it had two rows of three, that would be less disturbing somehow than having them. These are distinctly primate. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Could it be along the lines of, um, you know, can't create but can only make a mockery ah. of whatever? Mm-hmm. Just like right, the nipples. Evidence that they are. They still. We have retain. been here before, by the way. I have been here before. Long time. Yeah. I think a long, long time, time ago. ago. When? Uh, Look who's up on the throne. That's Mordorith, yeah. Did I, so, mm -hmm. did, did, do you stand here yes. in the epic line? This is where you fight Mordorith with Goladir, and Sarah Okart makes off with the Palantir from yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Ooh. Uh oh. Here's oh, he's been fight. waiting for us. Uh, somebody stood in the Wheel of Death. Oh, and it looks like an eye on the floor. Look at that. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Notice that the rays from the eye are pointing towards the throne. Okay, uh, you might on. want to stand on the throne and we'll take care of him for Looking you. on your backside there. Uh, no. Oh. Okay. okay. All right, I'm going to look at the throne. Hey, look, he's got a little she throne. It's a little yep, his and hers. That's for... for uh, what's her face? What's her face? Yeah. Sarah Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Narmalis, other stuff. No, yeah, not the non Narmalis. The red... The red, the new red maid. Yeah. The 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 redder maid. So is the curtains just covering up areas that are exposed? 
Like, is this just, like, an open, the entire thing is open air, and then, like, the curtains are just plugging up the holes, so the whole thing doesn't fall off? So it's actually top. like a giant tent? Yeah. Okay, see, now the crown looks like a crown. It's right side up over here. Yeah. That's the one, that was the window we saw coming in as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. JJ says are they just construction canvases right now we're going to put up a wall here but for now we're just going to stretch this tarpaulin across it and uh, you little know. side in black speech saying pardon our dust <laughs> yeah we're making magic oh hey that's rude I'm just looking at the architecture you have to come up here and attack me not thought it possible oh it possible Where'd he go? Oh. Uh, now we've got giants. Phantom giants, yeah. Phantom giants. Okay. But I, you That's know, a good the, band the, name. The, the, oh, hey. So his armor is very like the armor of the fancy trolls, except it's got the eye on it. Oh, darn it, I missed it. He was on his back, and I was trying to reorient to see. I don't remember killing him 150 separate times like this, but then again, it's been a long time. Well, the thing is, we're not actually killing him. We're just killing shadows. Right. See, look at the eye. Look at the eye. Look at the rays from the top of the eye. Oh, darn it. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. oh, yeah, the floor's all glowy. I wish he would uh, monologue a little bit longer. Yeah. Not even going to tell us your dastardly plan? Come on, man. Oh, man, I want to see the, the eye effect on the floor, right? With the, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. See, you've got, the, you've got the sun rays. It's definitely doing a sunshine thing, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, Here comes the sun. Creating this association between the Witch King and the Sun, which is really interesting because, of course, not only because through the Minas Itho connection, you know, he's more associated with the moon traditionally, but just thinking about the way in which he's kind of, I mean, it's almost like, again, a kind of a, a kind of appropriation, right? He's trying to appropriate the, uh, the power of the sun itself, which was, you know, of course, very intimidating to the servants of Melkor. Um, or mock what he couldn't create. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Sauron doesn't lay claim to the sun, so it's interesting that the Witch King is kind of setting up in that way here. And with the downward rays, I, I assume that this is oriented to be the bottom facing here so that when you're sitting on the throne and looking out, it's like the design is pointed towards you. And so the rays of the... And certainly the way that the rays emerge from the eye... Um, and I love the effect of the cat slit on the eye there, so it really does look like the eye of Sauron there in the middle, whose rays are, you know, uh, radiating out towards, um, you know, the Witch King as he sits here, uh, or, of course, Mordorith as he sits here. Um, but then it gets reversed above the throne where now the rays, which are like the rays of the sun again, but also clearly, much more clearly like a crown hovering above uh, the throne, now it looks like the sun is radiating out, and it's not explicitly the eye. We don't have a, a you know, we, we, we don't get an iris and pupil, 
or anything representing the pupil in the middle of that eye. It's just an open eye shape. Um, uh, and again, the beams are not now shining down from the eye towards the ruler, but outwards from the ruler. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious why the main sunbeam that we first saw is shining on the Palantir's holder down here in the corner. And why is it down here and not, like, up there by the throne? Wait, where? which which one is the holder for this, the Palantir? Down here uh, by the exit. Oh, this one is? Yeah, that's where the Palantir was. Yeah, yeah. Right. Vague memories of this. Um, okay, so that's a little Palantir pedestal. Mm-hmm. Like a sister. Yeah. I think you would want to pad those things a little bit. It'd be a little scratchy. Yeah. Does it it hover? Does it like have its own hover power or something like that? Hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. That would make sense. It probably sits on top of those four projections. It's, so it's not like a gem in a setting. There we go. But it's actually sitting on top of it, I imagine. I don't actually recall. Yeah, it's definitely got some floaty power if it's doing that. Is that um if, is that is that Palantir that you're holding life sized? Um, I think <laughs> so. I mean I I brought it out so we could compare scale actually. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's a little small. I think it must hover. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Okay. Anniversary gift. Right on. Um, Okay. I like the theory that there are no walls behind the brocade there. I like that a lot. Well, I approve of the Witch King's throne room. This is very interesting. And notice again the rusty brown ramp like so many of the rusty brown ramps that we've seen yeah but it looks nice here it matches the gold and the bronze and the red the set off setting off rusty metal with gold is kind of daring you know like that's kind of a fun combination um yeah that's trash money right there yeah that's interesting yeah cool all right very punk (laughs) yeah yeah definitely it's like Punk, this is like Trent Reznor's Millionaire Palace, kind of yeah. rusty metal and gold. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, well, I should let folks go. It's uh, despite starting on time, we've gone late. Uh, but Oof, we got through yeah. Angmar. We had our we had our goal here tonight. Uh, so okay. we've finished Karndoom. We finished all of Angmar. Next week, let's cross the Misty Mountains and head off. We'll figure out how to do it. Um, and we'll... Uh, uh, we'll head off towards the west. Let's head towards the Gladden Fields. And then we can go from the Gladden Fields to other places, from, if we think of other places in the game that we could visit from, uh, that have come up in the council. We can uh, we can <laughs> plan those then. And other, otherwise, we will uh, we'll just kind of explore around the region up through, um, uh, you know, Wilderland and, and uh, you know, Northern Mirkwood and stuff and see what we can see. So, yeah, Gladden Fields is like level 120. Yep, absolutely. I'm totally going to yeah. need protecting or the uh, fauna is going to destroy me. But uh, that'll be part of the fun. So Just a bit. <laughs> it'll be good. Um, get, get to go see Ross Goble. I don't think I've ever seen Ross Goble, so uh, that'll be, that'll yeah. be good. 
All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you guys back again next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.